life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. It's a wonderful show for you today. We have with us um, Dr. Dan Rosignol, who is a medical doctor who is going to be talking to us about hyperbaric oxygen treatments. And we also have with us um, the mother of a remarkable child by the name of Grace. We have Shannon Knight with us as well. I first want to thank our sponsor, Sensory Learning Center, and then let's go into a little bit of a background as to who my guests are today because this is one you definitely don't want to miss. We have um, a, a good perspective from both sides. First with us, we have um, Shannon Knights, and let me tell you her story. Her daughter, Grace, was diagnosed with a very rare mitochondrial disease. And after virtually living in the first three years of her life in the hospital and considered to be in a vegetative state and blind, Doctors refused to continue measures to prolong her life. Shannon took her daughter to receive hyperbaric oxygen therapy, the only thing that was changed. And Grace has progressed to, among other things, being off seizures and GI medicines and the feeding tube, and Grace is no longer blind. She is walking, she is thriving, and she has received normal EEGs and a normal muscle biopsy. Absolutely amazing. Joining with me also is Dr. Dan Rosignol. He is a clinic, clinical assistant professor at the University of Virginia Department of Family Medicine and a Defeat Autism Now Dan physician. He received his doctorate of medicine at the Medical College of Virginia and completed his residency in family medicine at the University of Virginia. He is the father of two children with autism, ages five and three. One of his clinical interests is the use of hyperbaric oxygen therapy in neurodevelopment disorders, including autism. Dr. Rosignol and Lanier Rosignol authored this study entitled Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy May Improve Symptoms in Autistic Children in Medical Hypothesis, which is our topic of discussion today as well. Dr. Rosignol, I have to say I have read and I have heard you speak and I have read some of your papers And one of the things that really impresses me about you that I don't see very often in medical doctors is a lot of your humbleness and your almost openness to the fact that this is speculation. I mean, there's some things that we have studies with, but a lot of it we're still speculating. And I I refreshingly appreciate that viewpoint. Um, Why do you think that, that... Do you have certain training that's brought you to that conclusion or... What's your opinion on that? Well, in, in my thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the Thank you. talk. Um, in my family residency program, we spend a lot of time talking about evidence-based medicine and just um, about a lot of things that we do in medicine don't have a lot of um, necessarily placebo double-blind studies um, proving that things work. And a lot of things we do are speculative or um, not based on evidence per se. So 
I was kind of trained to think critically and to look at the data and then to see what's out there. And so when we started talking about using hyperbaric oxygen therapy in autism, this is a lot of the uh, a lot of people haven't done this type of therapy before, right. so we speculate that it may help. And so I think my that background kind of helps me with that. It's 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 I love the way you approach this. And and I got to tell you, Shannon, as a mother, you don't really care when your child's in the hospital about the, all the studies a lot of times. I mean, so many times I would think that you were just like, give me something that's going to work. Maybe there hasn't been a thousand studies done on this yet. But, you know, as parents, we don't always have time to wait for all of the studies to come through. Right. We don't. I mean, that was <clears throat> part of my problem with Grace is that, you know, there really was nothing left for us to try, and I certainly um, did not have time on our side. So to wait for the studies to come out was just something that I was not willing to do. And when her team of physicians finally told me that the hyperbaric therapy was not going to harm her, then I felt that, well, there was, you know, no need to wait. And um, thus, then we decided to try hyperbarics, and thank goodness that we chose that route for her. Most definitely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the story and, and what you were faced with at that time? Well, when we started hyperbaric therapy, before we had started, um, you know, I'd researched it. Unfortunately, I'm a big researcher, and I researched it for over a year and um, talked to parents, interviewed physicians that were doing it. But at that time, there had been no other child with a mitochondrial disorder that had treated with hyperbaric therapy, but I had read about it for autism and cerebral palsy and traumatic brain injury. And so I waited a year, unfortunately. Finally, it wasn't until I was kind of forced where mainstream medicine had decided that they weren't going to do anything more to help my daughter live. At the time before we started hyperbarics, Grace was three years old. Um, she weighed approximately between 12 and 15 pounds. She had a feeding tube. She was blind. She suffered from seizures. Um, she was failure to thrive, um, did not hold her head up, sit up, crawl, walk, talk, no speech or language. And most importantly, she just wasn't a child that was present. Um, Grace just, you know, she just didn't know that I was her mom. She didn't know, you know, mm -hmm. how many people loved her on the outside because she was trapped on the inside. And uh, we decided that this was our last, you know, attempt really. I mean, I, I went into hyperbarics thinking that, it was the only thing left that I hadn't tried. And I felt that I needed to try it before I let her go. I, I say that a lot of times to parents that I did hyperbaric so that I n would be able to let her go because everybody, including family and friends, were saying it's time that, you mm -hmm. know, this little girl has lived in the hospital most of her three years of life and I have a healthy daughter and I need to move on. But as a mom, you can imagine. I mean, when yeah. people tell you to to take your child home and let them die. That isn't, that isn't something that you know how to do. Right. <laughs> and so I went to hyperbarics to do that, not knowing what my result would be. I, I mean, I prayed that my result would be that, and we have just had tremendous results with it. I just, I just love your story. It's fabulous. Now, Dr. Resignal, can you tell me wh what made you start first finding an interest in this? Well, uh, I have two children with autism. We're always looking for ways that we can improve their situation. And uh, we went to uh, the Autism One conference last year, and there were um, several physicians there that were talking about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And we um, basically uh, decided to go ahead and try it uh, based on some of their testimonials and um, saw good results. And then we started using it in some of the, some of the uh, children that we see in the clinic as well. 
uh, started seeing improvement. So we just kind of started it uh, based on some testimonies we heard from some other physicians. Okay. And how how what were the effects for your own children? Well, um, our younger son had improvements a little bit more quickly, so he um, went from saying a, a word here and there to actually putting words together in sentences and even paragraphs um, pretty much coincided with the starting and uh, going through hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, we're doing a lot of other therapies with them as well, but hyperbaric was the only thing we changed at that time. Right. We saw improvements there. And our older son, he started to say some words. Uh, he really wasn't saying words at all, uh, but not putting things together. Um, and then with him, we went into a slightly higher pressure, and that's when he started to put some words together. Okay. So now we know, before, and now I really want to get into what it is in, in the treatment, but I, I wanted people to get a little bit of a background as to what the potentials are from this. So let's go into it. Tell me um, what. Tell me about the process. Let's first start about what is expected of the process, wh- where they need to be, how long it's going to take, and then we'll go into the theories behind why it works more. Um, well, uh, generally, um, you involve getting into a chamber. Um, most uh, people will do it uh, about uh, five days a week um, for an hour a day at a time. Um, so you get in a chamber, it uh, develops pressure, and then you add oxygen to the chamber itself. So you're getting you're getting um, oxygen delivered uh, sometimes through a hood or face mask at a higher pressure than room air. Okay. Now, the face mask piece is the part that I'm sure that makes a lot of parents with autism be concerned. Do you always need to have a face mask involved in order no, to have... No, you don't. Um, some people do the just the pressure or they'll add oxygen to the actual air of the chamber. There's several different types of chambers. Some chambers use masks, some don't. So you can actually go to a hyperbaric center where they have chambers that will fill the whole chamber with oxygen. So you don't necessarily have to wear the mask. All right. So then what is, if in, in probably in, in simple terms, if we could keep this as simple, because you are a very intelligent doctor and I've read some of your wonderful reports, but could you, in just even a matter of a paragraph, sum up what it is that this is doing? Well, in me for autistic kids? Yeah. Yes. Um, we're not 100% sure. We do know that um, autistic kids have decreased blood flow to the brain. It's on order of probably 5 to 7% less than a typical child in most of the PET scan studies and that type of thing. So we do know that when you have decreased blood flow, you have slightly decreased oxygen delivery to the brain. So we're hypothesizing that uh, increased oxygen to the brain is going to, to help. So you get that with hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And also, uh, we do know that uh, there's a lot of inflammation in the brain of autistic kids, mm-hmm. and uh, we do know that hyperbaric oxygen therapy decreases inflammation dramatically in some cases, and so we're also hypothesizing that uh, it's going to help with inflammation found in the brain and also in the gut of autistic kids. And study-wise so far, are we in the process now? Of the st- I mean, obviously there's been lots of studies for other different um, uh, all treatment for, for many different other um types of either decreases with the blood flow through um, other studies on everything from what other types of diseases are, are we looking at that have been worked with? Well, certainly we know um, with uh, some inflammatory conditions like lupus and other disorders like that, we can um, uh, we, we see decreased blood flow. So some people are using um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy for some of these conditions and seeing some improvements, but we don't have a lot of... Uh, randomized control study, those type of things. We're getting there. Yeah, we're starting, we're doing a, um, we did that little case series, um, and now we're, we're doing a, a study that has been funded by the International Hyperbarics Association 
uh, and we're studying right now 18 children. That's, and this study is wrapping up right now. Uh, it's a prospective study that was approved by RRB, so that will be uh, published in the next few months. But we are seeing improvements in, the, in a lot of different things with autistic kids, including uh, sleep patterns, communication, interaction, things of those nature. Are you doing studies at your own particular center as well? I'm sorry, what was that? Are, are, you, are you doing your own individual studies as well with your patients? Yes, um, we're doing a study right now with Dr. Liz Mumford in Lynchburg, um, and we so we have a center, and she has a center, and we have 18 kids that are enrolled in the study right now. 18 right now in the, right. enrolled in the study. Okay. And uh, we just just finishing up the study, so we still have a few some data points still coming in, but probably 90% of the data is in. It's looking very favorable. Okay, excellent. Well, we're going to be breaking in just a minute here, and I want to get when we come back. I want to talk more about the theories behind hyperbarics. I also want to talk about more as to some of the results that you have seen in children, the different types of results that you see. Shannon, I'm sure you can share a lot of this with us as well. Um, when we, I, I, I'd like to hear more about. Uh, cost involved, and we're going to talk everywhere from um, from, from, the, from the extreme medical to the the parent point of view as well. So don't don't go away. And if you do need to um, call in, we're going to be giving that phone number where you can call us and ask any questions to Dr. Rosignol as well as to um, uh, Shannon as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. To create a kind and gentle world, a change in thought patterns and beliefs, individually and collectively, is needed. Join Suze Casey, developer of Belief Repattering, and her guest as they explore questions and conversations that push the boundaries and engage with you in the process of being who we really are and creating what we really want in our lives. What Do You Want Instead invites you to join the conversation every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What Do You Want Instead supports you in honoring and accepting yourself and making the decisions that create the lifestyle you desire and deserve. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup of the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. I'm really welcoming callers to call in for this because there's so many ways we can go with talking with Dr. Dan Rosignol and um, there's so many questions that we need to ask that I want to make sure that the audience is, is hearing what it is that they're interested in as well. And I, I think one of the pieces, there's, there's wonderful reports on the studies of this and we, we can go a little bit more into the technical part towards the um, throughout, throughout this interview today, but um, I know that as a parent, when you listen to something such as this, the first thing that really hits you is, could I even afford this? No, no matter how much faith I put into this, um, no matter how much I think this is the perfect thing for my child, can I afford this? So the first question I want to know is, how do you really clarify hyperbaric oxygen treatment for your child? How do you know that your child is a good candidate for this? And if you just joined us, We've been talking about hyperbaric oxygen um, therapy and how basically Dr. Rosignol explained of how you go into a chamber and you can put a mask on or not. Different doctors do it different ways. And um, the, the increase in the oxygen and the pressure can really help with the blood flow and help with brain, bringing the brain back. Um, and as, as the case happened very much with Grace, Shannon's daughter. So I, I guess I just want to know... How do you test to know? I mean, it's not as if there's a simple blood test to say this is a child as a candidate, is there? No, there there really isn't at this point. And I think what parents really have to look at is because we have so many different things out there right now that um, are on the forefront and, and there's different things that are helping our children. I mean, hyperbarics is just one of them. And I think that parents just really need to evaluate where their resources are. I think that... Um, hyperbarics is a definite route to go. I think that talking to other parents is your biggest thing. I know that I probably talked to probably 50 to 100 parents before I started hyperbaric therapy. And um, if you remember, Grace would have been the first child ever treated with her disease with hyperbarics. So I was really taking a gamble where you really, right now, you would not have a hard time finding parents that are being treated or their children are being treated with hyperbarics that fall into the autism category. And right. you can contact, um, that, that's why I actually went to the International Hyperbaric Association and started to work for them is because I wanted it to be a place that parents could contact to get information and education and not feel as if they were going to be, you know, led to believe that this therapy was working for other reasons except for the fact that it truly is working. And right. so it's a networking system where parents can call in and they can talk to other parents. They can get in contact with physicians in their area and they can answer those questions. But I really think that for us parents, we, sent, we tend to turn to parents first because we know that no parent is ever going to mislead us. Um, we're all in this to, you know, have our children get better. So I think that parents really need to sit down. They need to evaluate where they're at. Um, the IHA can also help with financing of hyperbaric, you know, therapies if they go to a provider member clinic. So there's a lot of different creative ways if the financial means isn't there. They give you a lot of ideas how to fundraise. And it's just a very good organization to turn to if you're looking 
um, at starting hyperbaric therapy. How does someone get in touch with this organization? Um, they can call, they can go online. The website is um, ihausa.org. And I'll say that really, really slow. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> so it's, it's okay. www.ihausa.org. Okay. And they can also um, call them as well. Someone's there to answer the phones and answer any questions that they may have. Okay. ihausa.org. This is great. And the phone number is um, 562-818-2115. Wonderful. I'm glad you were able to give us that. But are there, are there a lot of online chat groups? Yes, there are. I don't, you know, that there are online chat groups. I don't necessarily um, recommend tapping into those. Um, I think <laughs> that there's just a lot of different debates going on, and I'm, I fear that, Parents aren't getting the information that they really need to get, and there's a lot of stuff that's going on there that um, maybe be false for whatever reasons. And so I think that talking to physicians firsthand and talking to organizations that know about hyperbarics, I think it's a great support system for parents to be able to connect with other parents. But as far as the information, um, I have not been very happy with the listservs on the information that has gone on about hyperbarics because I think it can be misleading. And so I think that parents really need to remember when they're on the listservs to, you know, be a better advocate and make sure that you're not just listening to what's going on to the listservs and to talk to actual phys- physicians like Dr. Rosigno who is doing hyperbarics firsthand or talk to organizations that support hyperbarics and um, get hooked up with parents that way. Very good advice, and I, I think that's true with just about any of the treatments Absolutely. with autism. So what what have you seen, Dr. Rosignol, as avert signs that this is a child that makes a very good candidate for um, hyperbarics? Well, in our, in our studies, we're taking um, autistic kids, pretty much all comers, whoever wants to be in the study uh, and, and doing hyperbaric treatment. So... Um, with the diagnosis of autism, that was what the study was designed for. But um, we do know that hyperbaric oxygen therapy works well for um, Crohn's disease and also colitis and those type of conditions. So if you have a child that has a lot of um, inflammatory gut issues, that would probably be a child that would do well. Um, uh, so that would be one thing that would probably be that we would look at. Let's talk about spec scans. Uh-huh. And um, is, is that reviewing a spec scan would that be a good indicator? That'd be a very good way of doing it. Um, in our study right now, we're not using spec scans, but um, that would be something that uh, that could tell you what a spec scan involves. Is um, it's a, uh, a a test that pretty much tells you um, if you're having decreased blood flow to certain areas of the brain or decreased oxygenation to areas of the brain. And so, if you see that, um, then uh, definitely that person may be a candidate for hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, and it would. We do have some uh, physicians who are doing spec scans before and after hyperbaric therapy and seeing improvements in areas of, of decreased blood flow and decreased oxygenation. Um, and so, and we know with Shannon's uh, child has had multiple spec, spec, spec scans showing improvements uh, after hyperbaric therapy. I'd like the opinion from both of you um, because I think you, you probably approach us from different um, ideas, but what is your a thought as to the percentage of children on the spectrum of autism that this would be a, a worthy therapy for? Well, from, boy, 
from my perspective and from a parent's perspective and, and then also what I've seen come through the International Hyperbaric Association being reported back by physicians, it, it seems to be that um, the number would fall right around into the 80% range of children that are being helped. Now, coming from a parent's point of view, I look at it, at it that if you can get rid of one disability, that's a huge thing for us parents. So a child that may have gut issues, if that is all that hyperbarics resolves, that's a huge thing for that parent, to be able to have a child not have gut issues any longer, to be able to have normal stools, um, like for Grace. You know, being able to just get rid of her feeding tube was a huge milestone for us. So I think that there's a lot of variables in that 80% that are getting better, um, because it depends on where they're at on the spectrum. But can I you know. Really, I'm sorry, can you really going back to the gut piece? I mean, everything from dysbiosis to um, dietary problems. Can that all? I mean, is it is it really fair to say that hyperbarics can, can completely eradicate? Uh, you know, the, the flora in the gut, the yeast problems. Everything is everything involved. Well, we don't know that because we haven't really studied that. We do know that uh, with the lymphoid nodular hyperplasia that some autistic children have, which is very similar to an inflammatory bowel disease, right. we're thinking that hyperbaric is helping with that. Okay. A lot of the dysbiosis and overgrowth of bacteria and yeast may be secondary to the inflammation. So if we can clear up the inflammation, then the other things may sort of even out on their own. Interesting. But we haven't done a lot of studies yet looking at that. Sure, sure. What we're hoping is that someone will do a um, hyperbaric study and doing uh, colonoscopy, say, before and after. Right. Seeing if the lymph node hyper, this hyperplasia uh, inflammation problem uh, improves with hyperbaric. So I think those studies are planned and they will be done at some point. So. Okay. I, I'm sorry, Shannon, to interrupt you with that. Oh, I, just, okay. I just needed to understand that. And you were continuing on, so I didn't mean to interrupt if you if you want to continue on or if we can ask Dr. Razunal what he feels the percentage-wise. Yeah, you can go ahead and go to him. It, it, it's just I think that People need to really evaluate just where they're at and what they're actually, their expectations are. I mean, I know when I went into it, my expectations were I just didn't want my daughter to die, where other parents are going into it where they want speech and language or they want their children to improve in sensory. They want the cognition. And the reports have just been very, very favorable. So I think that in time, especially with the studies that the IHA is funding right now, we'll know more in six months what exactly is going on and where the percentage is. Now, the, the percentage of kids I know that aren't responders, like, say, you know, I was speaking with Dr. Bradstreet, and the kids that were not responders for him when he was doing mild hyperbarics, he then bumped them up, and he saw in, in pressure, and so he saw improvements. So it's one of those things that it's um, very large to say that, eight, I mean, 80% is, is a very high number, but when you look at what the parents are looking for and the response that they're getting, I think that it's a very fair number, but Dr. Rosignol can certainly comment on that. Yeah, we're, we certainly have some children that have vast improvements, um, and it, it does seem to be related somewhat to age. So the younger they are, the, it seems like they improve faster, and the older they are, they may just need more therapies and maybe higher pressure. Um, and so some of it's dependent on age. Um, we do have some kids that, there's a, in the study that we did on the um, 18 kids, we had two or three that didn't seem to re really respond much at all, uh, but the rest had some form of improvement. Um, we had some kids that started sleeping through the night for the first time, which is huge for a lot of parents. Right. Um, and we had some kids that uh, started putting words together, had improved uh, communication, those type of things. And so um, each kid may improve in different ways. Some kids will improve in four or five or six different areas. Other kids may improve in a couple of areas. Um, 
and so and, and parents uh, are very grateful for any improvement they can get. Certainly. I can definitely understand mm-hmm. it. It goes down to that whole $100,000 question. You start with X amount of dollars, right. and where do you right. divide them up when you're treating your child? And it's hard. And I... What makes me sad is I don't want parents to ever feel guilty that if it's something that they can't do, you know, they don't have to compromise their family because of it. Right. So it's it's definitely something worth trying. So um, we're going to talk more here with Dr. Dan Rosignol and um, Shannon Kenneth and more about Shannon's experience and what she's doing now. Don't go away. We will be back talking about hyperbaric oxygen. Thank you. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Thanks for rejoining us. We are talking here with Dr. Dan Rosignol, and we are talking also with Sharon Kennetts, excuse me, Shannon Kennetts. And Shannon, I want to talk more about where this has led you. What are you doing now? Well, where this has led me, boy, Grace, taking me down a huge road. A huge well, besides phase. all the spiritual components yeah. and all the biomedical components, where else has this led you? Well, because of um, Grace's improvements with hyperbaric therapy, and it was the only thing I changed in her life, so I was able to know without a shadow of a doubt that this is what kept my daughter alive and has given us our family back, is now I advocate for rights for hyperbaric therapy. 
Um, I work for the International Hyperbaric Association, um, which is a nonprofit organization that promotes hyperbaric therapy through education and research. So we are funding a lot of research, not only in the autism field, but in strokes, um, cerebral palsy, um, and a lot of different neurological areas. So my career has changed from a psychologist to working um, for these rights. I, I work in Washington to hopefully change the way the laws are. My goal, obviously, is to get this to be a covered indication for families because, as you said earlier, it is something that we should not have to, you know, sell our homes to get therapies, whether it's hyperbarics or any other therapy. We're just trying to do the best for our children, and I think that this is definitely going to be one that with the studies that are upcoming that we should be able to have enough information to change some of the laws. And it's, it's, it's slowly getting there. There are parents that are being reimbursed for hyperbarics. They are. Yes. Certain insurance companies, I'm assuming Certain private. insurance companies are better than others. They work through the IHA, and we help them. We, we teach them how to write the correct letters. They usually end up always having to pay for it up front, but a lot of parents are reporting back that they're getting some of it paid back, whether it's 50%, 60%, but it is a long process. I mean, it, it, by no means is it as simple as filling out a form. You do have to fight your insurance company, but we have, you know, since we're paying for it anyway, we have the time to do that, and our parents are very strong and determined and we want the best. So if we can get reimbursed for any of the therapies that we are using, then we're able to take that money and put it back into our child. So um, we definitely are, are getting stronger in that area when it comes to hyperbarics, thanks to physicians like Dr. Rosignol that are, you know, doing the research and Dr. Bradstreet that are helping us push this forward in into the mainstream medical world. And there's, there's no question for those parents out there, you know, the squeaky wheel is going to get the oil. Do not give up. When your insurance company says no the first time, that Absolutely. does not mean to stop. Um, all of these treatments, so much that we do for our children, it's really a lot of matter of persistence yeah, and education absolutely. on that part. Absolutely. Um, and there's good insurance advocates. I think Gail Borgard is going to be speaking at the Autism One Conference. She's yeah. an amazing insurance advocate and a longtime friend, and she's a wonderful person to help people get reimbursement. So going going with that, so, so you are... I'm the executive director of the International Hyperbaric Association. And That's you're what located, I do for my living now. Which is located where? Um, we have two offices, one in Madison, Wisconsin, and one in California. And um, so what that entails for me is I, I go around the country speaking on hyperbaric therapy. I put together CME workshops for hyperbaric therapy. I help physicians get into the field. Um, it's, I'm a pretty strong advocate because of my daughter's case. I, I can't... It's funny, I sit in front of a physician, and when I get done telling them Grace's story, they can't help but want to do hyperbaric therapy. Sure, um, sure. Because we did do everything the way that you would say a per se mainstream physician would do it. We did all pre-testing. We had a muscle biopsy done right before we started. We had an EEG done. We had a spec scan done. And we were, with Grace's case, we are actually able to show medically why and how this helped Grace. So I'm actually able to say these are the test results. You cannot dispute them. And the only thing that we did was we added the hyperbaric therapy. And and then you just take a look at Grace, you know, where she was four years ago and what she's doing now. It, it is amazing. Tell me, is there anybody doing a, uh, a – are you doing a book or is there any other stories being done on Actually, you? I am in the process of doing a book. And with Grace's story, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of national media take interest in grace, celebrities take interest in grace, and we're hoping to, to move that even forward and involve the autism community in that and to 
make awareness. Unfortunately, it seems in our country we, instead of having brilliant doctors like Dr. Rosignol being able to get into where we need to be, sometimes it takes a celebrity to get us to where we right. need to be, and we now have that. And and we definitely, you know, with Grace's story and the other stories of the thousands of children Hyperbarics is helping, um, we will get where we need to be. And so, um, yes, Grace's story will be a book. It will be done <laughs> and published sometime in the next year. <laughs> well, that's good. I can say I knew you win. And uh, this is this is going to be great. We'll have you back on the show well, once the book gets you. published so we can start pushing that book. That's great. Well, thanks. And and Dr. Dan Rosignol, what are you up to these days? Are you anything new in in your works? Well, we're just finishing up this study on the uh, 18 children and we're um just submitted IRB um and we get an approval to do a larger studies um on 60 children and we're going to do a um hyperbaric oxygen therapy um, versus a placebo. Um, so we'll have some children that get in the chamber that um, won't get hyperbaric therapy and some will. Um, and then we're going to have therapists who don't know what the child received evaluate the child with some standardized testing Perfect. and see um, if we see improvements in hyperbaric. Because uh, our, the studies we've done so far are, are good. They're more of a pilot study. But one could argue that the improvements we're seeing are more of a placebo effect or the parents want to see improvements, so therefore we're seeing them. And so the next step is to do what mainstream medicine does and to do a placebo-controlled study to prove that this is working. And hopefully if we can do that, um, we can get coverage for um, autism and hyperbaric therapy. We can have insurance to pay for it. We can really, you know, move along that line a lot more. That's great. The studies will definitely help make this more mainstream and certainly will help, as Shannon was saying earlier, with insurance coverage, Absolutely. offering the CMEs. All of those things are just essential to this to make yeah. this and, whole thing and work. And we certainly need the studies. I mean, a lot of parents say they can't wait. They need to do therapy now and can't wait for the studies. But someone needs to do the studies. We need to have these done so that we can show these therapies are working uh, and move forward from there. Shannon, if somebody wants to find the closest hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment closest to them. It it would be going back to the website you gave me originally. Yes, they can go to the website and um, they can also call that number. There's actually a toll-free number. It's um, 877-IHA-USA-1. And they can contact um, the organization and then they can look it up by zip code and by provider member in their area. Okay, I'm going to give that out again and I'm also going to give the website again is www.ihausa.org and the phone number, the 800 phone number again is 877-IHA-USA-1. Yes. Great. Um, how many treatment centers are there popping up around the country right now? Boy, there, there's quite a few that are starting to um, pop up. And, um, you know, there's more and more aware, as there's more and more awareness of hyperbarics, there's more physicians as we have these CME-approved workshops that the IHA puts on with the American College for Advancement of Medicine. You see more doctors implementing hyperbarics into their practice. And so, you know, I would say, you know, the clinics that are involved in the IHA we are probably involved in anywhere between four to five clinics a month. Um, and we only work with the physicians that are IHA provider members. So there may be more than that, but the ones that are coming wow. to the IHA for assistance and working um, with us to belong to our organization, 
um, I'm probably working anywhere between with that number in a month, in any given month. So how do you discriminate which ones are <laughs> good? You're gonna ask me that question on on live on radio. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Inquiring minds really want to know this because I certainly would want to know this, and, and I'm lucky because yeah. I live in Wisconsin. So yes. Well, you know, to, to belong to the IHA, we just really want to make sure that physicians are getting into this. Um, you know, we're not a regulatory agency. We're just an association that is promoting hyperbarics um, in a fair way and in a, re, in a um, responsible manner. So really, if a physician wants to become a provider member, they contact the organization. We work with them. We talk to them about the clientele that they're wanting to serve. We look at the market of their area, okay. if there's a lot of clinics. And so we just we just really want to make sure that there's physicians that are present in these clinics. Um, IHA supports physician-run hyperbaric clinics. We, we feel that it's very important that parents go to um, a clinic where there's a physician first, just do their initial treatments before ever looking into... Um, the home units that a lot of the physicians are recommending to their patients. And so we just want to make sure that parents um, are, that ha- they have the correct information and the right information. And so, you know, we, we don't set uh, guidelines. We're not a regulatory agency. We just want to make sure the hyperbarics is done in a responsible manner. Very good. Now, you bring up another important point, and Dr. Rosnall, maybe you can address this, is to... Um, if they are working with another physician at this point, doing certain treatments um, of all different types, is is that okay to continue throughout this process, or do they have to wait till speculation or, or whatever it is they might be doing is is completed? Well, um, the simple answer is we're not 100% sure. I mean, we've had some children that have received hyperbaric alone. They haven't done anything else, not even supplements, and we've seen improvements with them. We have some children who have done everything that you can imagine from chelation to um, all kinds of um, IVIGs, different therapies, and they're still seeing improvements with hyperbaric. So I don't think there's any set rules. I think uh, as you know, as people are able to afford it and they want to try the therapy, I think you can do it at any point. Um, and we just don't have studies now that show, you know, you have to do this first, you have to do that first. Um, so I think if, if people want to try it for their child, I think at any point they can do it. Okay, we have a caller here. We have Sarah from Chicago. Sarah, thank you for being on. What is your question? Um, I didn't actually have a question. I just had a comment for Shannon. I wanted to uh, to thank her. I saw her on the Montel Williams show, and I wanted to thank her for her inspirational story um, about her daughter and um, thanking her for hooking me up with the, the IHA and helping out our family immensely. Well, that's great. Well, thank, thank you. Thanks, Sarah, for calling in. That was very nice of you to do that. Well, what a great testimony there, Shannon. Oh, yeah. That was very nice. That, that's great. You have been quite a hero to a lot of people. And um, isn't it amazing what gifts our children can be to help us get to that point? Absolutely. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about, um, a, li- a little bit more about ways that we can help our children while they are receiving hyperbarics. Um, prepping them, preparing them, as well as I want to ask a question about my own son, if you don't mind. Uh, We're going to come back here with Dr. Dan Rosignol and Shannon um, Kennett. Thank you. Don't go away. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. This is great. We have Dr. Dan Rosignol. We have Shannon Kennett, and we are talking about hyperbaric oxygen therapy and how it's improving symptoms in autistic children. And what's the hypothesis on this? This has been wonderful. I've been really enjoying learning about all the different children and all the different symptoms that it definitely helps. So I'm going to ask the selfish question, although I think it's something that could help a lot of other people. And knowing the question, is it right for your son? My son is almost 13 and had um, a spec scan done. And here's here's the crazy part of it. Uh, my son was the most severe of autism imaginable. I mean, you just you just I've worked with thousands of children. I've never seen a child as, as bad off as my son used to be. And through by a lot of other treatments, um, a lot of glutathione, a lot of uh, we do a lot of homeopathy on him, a lot of different other things. He's improved tremendously. He does a spec scan, and we're expecting to see everything lit up, every problem imaginable for this child who's nonverbal. And it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. The shape was perfect. It was everything about it was flowing well. So my question to you is is that, number one, would you still consider him a candidate? And number two, you know, why, why, what is it about these kids that sometimes have very different symptoms? What you would, what you would go in there expecting to see, you don't see. Well, the, the spec scans of autism are um, they're very difficult to read. There's a physician out in California, Dr. Usler, uh-huh. who actually um, has a huge database of using spec scans in autistic children. And he... Um, has taken spec scans from other places across the country, and he has a, actually a computer program. He kind of runs them through. That's a standardized database of autistic kids. And he oftentimes will find abnormalities that have been called, have been read as, quote, normal uh, scans. So that's one thing to think about. Is the Amen Clinic doing most of the spec scans right now? Or is there, is there a lot of spec scans being done through? I mean, they have a certain process on the way that they do it that's a little different than some of yeah. the others. Uh, there's a lot of universities that can do spec scans. Um, they may not have a lot of expertise in reading spec scans on autistic children. Dr. Usler out in California is probably the most experienced one. So we end up sending some spec scans to him to um, analyze because we will get normal scans at times or, quote, normal scans and send them to him, and he'll find um, pretty uh, substantial abnormalities that are pretty impressive um, through his through his analysis. So 
And that's really important for people to know because mm-hmm. just, just like so much of the biomedical <clears throat> pieces, you go to your standard pediatrician and they say, everything's fine, and it's not fine. Then why does my child have diarrhea if everything's fine? So I think it's important to know that there are specific doctors that are trained to review certain scans and right. things such as that. So when, they, when you hear that all is clear, it's not necessarily true. Right. And then all the other biomedical pieces. All, I mean, I think, Shannon, you said it best when you said, you know, this is a piece, and this is an important piece, and you don't know necessarily what piece that this is going to help. Right. So you kind of go in not knowing where it's going to show up. But right. I mean, because we all want those improvements. I mean, we all want our children to be better, and I, and I think if we just sit back and realize that there isn't any one thing, I believe, that can do that. I think that hyperbarics is an incredible adjunct therapy to other programs. And, I mean, Grace did a lot of different things um, after she got hyperbarics, like in the PTOT speech area, that obviously helped her get to be the great kid that she's at and what she's doing right now. So, And I appreciate that so much for both of you as professionals um, to, you know, to tell people that it, it's, it's not all the eggs in one basket type of piece. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a combination of modalities that really help these children. I, I got to know, can you give me an idea of what cost is? Boy, in, in the United States, you are going to run anywhere between um, $100 to $150 a treatment, depending on the area, your state that you're in, the cost of living, unfortunately, and so forth. But IHA clinics really, you know, the provider members really try to keep their prices down, um, and we work with them to do that. Um, and so a lot of places will do packaging, like if you purchase um, a package of 40, you get a 20% discount or whatever it may be in that area. But I would say if you're paying, you know, more than that, you really, you know, should there should be clinics in that area that um, are in that price range. Okay. That's great. That gives us an idea at yeah. least of what to, to, to possibly save for and such as well. Um, is there anything else that either one of you wants to make sure and include and add before we are, are done with our show today? Well, I think from my point, point is for parents is just never to give up hope. You know, that even when it's the worst day for you and your child is having their worst day, that there's always better days. I mean, we talked about where Grace was before hyperbarics, but now my daughter is in first grade. Her feeding tube is gone. She's no longer blind. And she started walking three months ago, and she's never used her wheelchair since. And this is a child that was given absolutely no chance to live. And so when you're having your worst day, just remember that the next day is a new day and that anything is possible and just to keep being determined and never to give up that hope. That's wonderful advice. And from you, Dr. Rosignol? I would say the same thing, that that, uh, we have a lot of hope for our kids um, with autism. They have a lot of them have a lot of difficulties, um, but you know there is hope out there, and uh, all these different therapies that we're that we're able to do um, just adds to the hope. And as we do more studies and look into more things, hopefully we'll have more and more hope in the future. Okay, we have another caller. We have John from California. John, thank you for joining us. I was curious. Um, I mean, we know we we know that it works. It looks like it's working. But um, what is the what do you think the mechanism is of why it works? Great question. The, the mechanism of hyperbaric. We do know that in autistic children, they do um, tend to have um, inflammation in both the brain and the gut. And we know that hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, has a pretty strong anti-inflammatory component and decrease inflammation. So that's one mechanism that it could be working. 
We also know that kids with autism have decreased blood flow to the brain, um, and so they may have slightly decreased oxygen levels, so that will also help with it. We also know that from recent studies that hyperbaric oxygen therapy will actually increase the production of stem cells, uh, which is an exciting new finding. So we're hoping that some of these um, uh, brain conditions, neurodevelopmental uh, conditions, may actually be reversible or at least improvable by increasing the stem cells that circulate uh, both in the blood and in the brain. Great. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you. This is this is important, and and, and this is a, probably a topic for an entire different show as to all of the different mechanisms as to as to why it works. Right. And and I think that in, something that also is important is that you know this isn't just autism, and this is potential for so many other um, different types of ailments. And I think it's interesting, if you're a parent who's taking your child into a chamber, um, Shannon, do you have a lot of parents that uh, will do it along with their child as well? Oh, absolutely. And, and, the, and the thing is, when most parents do, I would probably say more do than don't. And the parents report feeling better. Um, you, you, feel, you just feel better. You're getting, you know, oxygen to yourself as well. And um, parents come out, they feel that they have more energy. They, you know, a lot of parents that have gone in that have had what we consider to be migraines, but stress-induced migraines because of our situation with our children, and um, they end up, you know, resolving themselves. Um, the parents, obviously, with chronic fatigue, um, you know, especially our parents, you know, we are so busy taking care of our children, we sometimes forget about taking care of ourselves, and um, it has helped with that immensely with a lot of parents. That's good, and it's good to see that they're taking advantage of that as well. Absolutely. Do you have a lot of children <clears throat> exceptionally scared in the chambers? In the beginning, I mean, I, I, by, there are a certain percentage of children that obviously, you know, have um, sensory issues about either putting a hood on or a mask or getting into um, a confined place, but it's amazing. After they get in one or two times, um, physicians report back that they don't have that problem any longer. And one of the, a lot of physicians feel actually that it's because the child is actually feeling better. So you, re, you hear parents reporting back that their children say, we can't wait to get to the chamber to go in the tube to, wow. you know, a lot of them call it a space tube or a submarine. Sure, and sure. They, they, they like going back in it, and physicians feel it's because they're feeling better. Can they play while they're in there? Can they you know, watch a video? Yes, I, I don't even can. There's all different types of chambers, so depending on what kind of chamber you're going into, but yes, in a lot of them you're able to play a lot of times. I mean, my daughter's speech therapist goes in it with her, and sometimes I can con her OT or her PP person to go in it with her sure. and actually work with her. So um, there's definitely a lot of different areas that you can do, and a lot of times parents just use it for that bonding time with their child where they have their undivided attention for that full hour. How good for the for in many cases is this something that they can do 40 treatments and then they don't have to come back or do they have to come back on a yearly basis well um we don't know the answer entirely with autism we do see uh kids have improvement uh, that will last several months after the treatments it may last longer um so we're still looking at that and studying it uh, there definitely seem to be some permanent improvements in, in some areas um and we usually recommend starting with 40 um taking a one or two month break and then doing 80 there's um, if you look at the literature, a lot of improvements are seen through 80 treatments. Um, so we usually recommend at least 40, but ideally more like 80 treatments. Okay. Well, that's – and over the course of how long, though? Well, typically you'll do 40 treatments. Um, you do five days a week, so it'll take you two months. You take a month or two break and then 
another 40 treatments. Great. Some uh, centers are doing two treatments a day, but a lot of centers are doing one a day. So it just depends on the schedule you work out with your physician. Okay. Very good. This has been a wonderful show, and I wish we had more time to talk about um, a lot of more, more of your study. But we'll, once your next study is completed, we'll have you back, <laughs> okay. uh, Dr. Rosnall, okay. to talk more about the study. Um, Shannon, my continued best wishes to you and success and blessings to Grace and what she has meant to so many people because of her story. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Goodbye to everybody. We will be at Autism One, the conference in Chicago, Memorial Day weekend. Please don't miss it, www.autismone.org. And for more information on hyperbarics, 877-IHAUSA1. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.